Don't dwell on the wins. Don't dwell on the losses. Keep pressing forward and you are going to crush it going into 2020. Hey, what's shaking? Welcome back to All In with Rick Jordan. I am Rick Jordan. It's been a month since we dropped an episode, and I like this. We're going to do this every year. You know, the show is almost a year old now, and I'm really pumped about this past month because I got to really crush it on a few new things in business, in life. But for this New Year's episode, going into the next decade, I have uh, an interview person that writes blogs for me, and the way this works is uh, they actually, it's the same way I wrote my book. I get interviewed and I tell stories and then they take that, 95% of the words are my actual words. I've always said, hey, I'm uh, an author, but I'm not a writer. I'm a storyteller and I'm a speaker, all that stuff, so I have people that help me out to put my words onto paper. It works out really, really well especially when they can just interview me and I can just be me exactly like how I'm talking to you right now. And they transcribe these things and then put them on paper. But this topic was really cool. They always prompt me because there's four articles that get written every single month. And they prompt me and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. And there's always, you know, hey, Valentine's Day is coming up or New Year's Christmas or it's Martin Luther King Day coming up in January. And they'll give me these topics to say, hey, this will just spark your thought process to get going as far as what you might want to talk about. There was one on this past list that was pretty fantastic that really stopped me in my tracks. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Reflecting on the last decade. Before I saw that email, I didn't actually think, it didn't settle into me that, man, We are rolling into a new decade here. This is 2020. And it made me think to way back into 2010, what were you doing in 2010? Or really in 2009, 2009, in December or New Year's Eve, thinking, wow, we're rolling into this next decade. I'm going to tell you where I was at and kind of give you a history of my life through the past 10 years. Because there's been some really awesome wins, some high mountains. And there's been some really crushing losses too. And I am grateful for it all. That's kind of the biggest reflection point that I have is that I am grateful for every single thing that happened. Because no matter what goes on in life, no matter what hits you and how hard it hits you, whether it's a win or a loss, it's never meant to be something that you just stay put And I am super guilty of this. This is one thing I was realizing as I was looking back at this past decade. I'm just wired this way. I just keep going after things, going after things, going after things. Even when I have this amazing, huge win, it's like, wow, that was awesome. And then two seconds later, I'm on to the next thing. Because my brain is always thinking ahead, always thinking about what has to be done next. And reflecting on this past decade, I start thinking, man, if only I could take just a little moment longer to savor those wins. I'm even worse when it comes to the losses. Anyone there with me? I don't like to think about them too much because I can examine them and reflect super fast and pull out the lessons that I learned from that and then move on. I don't dwell on things, don't dwell on the losses, but the problem is sometimes I also don't take a moment for the wins to celebrate. 
What, what do you do to celebrate? I know that my brother-in-law, for example, he loves taking his wife to the signature room. I, I'm, in Chicago, he likes taking her to the signature room, which is on top of the John Hancock Center. It's like the 95th and 96th floor. It's really cool and loves having champagne there with his wife to celebrate something really awesome that happened. And I don't do anything like that. I might have a glass of scotch or something like that. You know, I've got, I love Macallan. Anybody that knows me knows that. And they released a really awesome batch number two of their rare cask last year. It's about a $300 bottle. It's a good bottle. Really, really good bottle. I opened that up just to celebrate a quick moment. And then I just kind of moved on from there. So I don't dwell on the losses. And I also don't dwell on the wins. And I started thinking about a particular person who kind of does this same thing. Jennifer Aniston, right? She owned the internet. Really, she kind of broke the internet, broke Instagram a couple of months ago when she finally joined. And she had, what, 7 million followers in the first hour, something like that, just from one little post, which was from her and the cast members from Friends. Everybody loves Friends, which, you know, one sad thing is that it's leaving Netflix now, but hey, it's coming out on HBO Max. If you didn't know that, that's releasing in May. There's some other cool things that's on this new HBO streaming service, but Friends is going to live there on HBO Max. It's done on Netflix. So I'm, I'm almost through season 10 again right now, finishing it up just before it leaves, because I've got like this five-month period to where it goes away. Squirrel! Squirrel! I appreciate Jennifer Aniston so much because it, take a look at her and compare her to the rest of the cast of Friends. You've got Matt LeBlanc, for example. That dude had a spinoff series. Nobody remembers this because it lasted like a season and a half before it was canceled. He tried to take the character Joey and do the spinoff series of that character. Now, Joey was freaking awesome in Friends. Amazing. But he just said, you know what, I, I'm going to take this amazing experience, this win, this huge, awesome thing in my life called Friends, and I'm going to keep it rolling here. I'm going to keep going on with this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play Joey. I'm going to keep milking this thing for all that it's worth. And that failed miserably. He had a huge win, just like Jennifer Aniston, except he dwelled on that win, so it's not, I'm not just talking about dwelling on losses, you know, because a lot of people can fall into depression and that's the, this neurochemical thing. Of course, science has a lot of information about this, but they'll dwell on this negative thing in their life and it starts to define them for the next several weeks, months, years, whatever it is. But I see the flip side and I see so many that will dwell on their wins. You know, I lost weight back in 2013 to people that don't know me yet. I dropped 80 pounds, and most of it was just done with good nutrition. And I'm not talking a diet. I'm talking I learn how to eat right. I've talked about it on the show so many times now. And you know what? For me, I hate talking about it. But for people who have never heard it before, it's cool to them. The reason I hate talking about it is because that was something that was six freaking years ago now. It's a win, a huge win in my life because I'm still thin. I packed on a lot of muscle mass. I'm fit. I'm cut. Awesome. But... That was something from six years ago. It's not something, it's not a win that defines me anymore. It did for maybe about the first six months in my life because, man, this was really awesome. And I, I could notice different things because there were almost like 
residual effects aftershocks from this huge win that I had in my life and how they ripple through the rest of what I'm doing, including business. I would show up to clients that had not seen me for maybe about a, a year or so because I've got good people that take care of things. And they'd be like, hey, man, you're looking really good. And of course, everyone asks, how'd you do it and everything else? That's because it's the first time that they saw me. The very first time. You think they keep asking those same questions again and again and again and again and again? No, because the winds get old. They get old. It's not something to dwell on. Just like losses are not something to dwell on, wins are not something to dwell on either. So coming back to Jennifer Aniston, she jumped into movies. They made money. They were never like blockbuster things, right? But she never dwelled on any one thing. She took that win that she had from friends and then just moved on, kept going. And why? Look, if anybody else, you know, I don't know if Matt LeBlanc's on Instagram. I think that he is. They don't have as many followers as her. And now look, she was chosen along with Reese Witherspoon for Apple's new lifestyle show on their new streaming service because she still has that star power. People still remember her for friends because it streams on Netflix. It has for many years, but it's not something that she just puts out there as saying, Hey, this is defining me. There was this, I used to be a Star Trek fan. I say used to be, you know, I, I kind of am, but it, it's more nostalgic for me now because my dad and I, when I was really, I'm talking like under 10 years old is when Star Trek next generation came out and he and I would watch that. It's really, really good memories between myself and my, my dad. A lot of those characters, though, like William Frakes, that actor, he went into directing and everything else. But if you look him up on Wikipedia, or a lot of those actors that were in that TV series uh, of Star Trek, or even the first one, think about William Shatner, right? He's forever known as Captain Kirk. They get pigeonholed because they just dwelled on that success and that win for so long. And now their Wikipedia page, you've seen this. When you look up an individual, an actor or a musician or whoever, they, there will always be this section on Wikipedia that says best known as blank. Like William Shatner, best known from the role Captain James T. Kirk in Star Trek. That dude was pigeonholed and that's what defined him for the rest of his life. Jennifer Aniston, I guarantee you there's nobody else that could have done what she did from the Friends cast because they all just kind of hung out there and let that fame sort of sizzle because they just dwelled on that as their win. And even Matt LeBlanc just tried to even milk that when it was past its peak. Don't dwell on the losses and even more so don't dwell on the wins. So I look back at 2010. I'm rolling into 2010, right? January 16th. 2010 is when my youngest kid, Alec David Jordan, was born. Super awesome dude. I'm so glad he was born. He is not someone that we were expecting. And I'm so glad that he showed up in our lives. I can't imagine it without him. But rolling into 2010, it was kind of nerve wracking because a couple of years, actually really more like 14 months or something like that. See, we had our twins in 2007, Richard and Ariel. And then it was maybe 14, 15 months after that, something like that, where Jaina was pregnant again and she miscarried. And this was just rough, you know, because this was kind of closing out this decade. It was rough because she lost so much blood during this miscarriage. I remember bringing her to the hospital. She came out of the rest of the bathroom at home and said, Rick, there's something wrong. I'm like, all right, let's get you to the hospital. Cool. We put a towel down on the seat in 
the car, and I remember that it was a Saturn view, right? Because we were broke, no joke. We were just straight up broke. A Saturn freaking view, their, their SUV of a nightmare car that they had, put it down. And by the time we got there, this thing was just soaked and red with blood. She lost so much blood. And I remember her in the bed, in the ER, and there was a moment to where she went completely white. And I look up and her blood pressure is 50 over 20. She was just bleeding out. I ran to get a doctor, a nurse, whoever. I don't remember this, but I remember this one part very clearly that there was like 18 people that ran into her room, hooked her up with a second IV bag and started squeezing these things so hard, just pumping her full of other liquids to try to bring this back up, bring her blood pressure back up. She was literally dying right there in front of me. And this was the worst thing still to this moment that I can ever think of that I've seen with my own eyes because she means so much to me. So it was a couple months later when we found out that she was pregnant again with Alec. Now everything turned out okay, of course. It was just just a moment of prayer. And I kid you not, this was so incredibly powerful that things just flipped around in the matter of an instant, just supernaturally flipped around. And her blood pressure went right back up to normal. She didn't have to have a DNC for anybody that knows what that is. That's where they go in and clean everything out. She passed everything completely normally. And there was no ill after effects whatsoever. So when we found out she was pregnant again, I started a little bit freaking out. This was like the middle of 2009, thinking I'm going into the next decade. Am I going to have my wife with me this next decade? Because I remember what happened when she was pregnant before. I'm thinking, you know, I'm not going to think that way. No problem. I'll tell you, a couple months into this pregnancy, though, this was 2009, a couple months into this pregnancy, same thing happened. She started bleeding again, take her to the hospital, and I already know what's coming next. They do the ultrasound, and we're just sitting, just waiting for, there's no weird, she's turning white this time, which was awesome, but I'm already thinking, the baby's dead. This is it. You know, we have our twins. I'm very grateful for those. This is just not something that's supposed to happen anymore. And it it gets me so emotional when I think about this. (laughs) Almost going to start crying right now, because I remember the doctor coming back in to the room that we were in. And he just looks up and and there's a smile on his face. He goes, everything's fine. So that, well, and this didn't compute at one point because I remember that blood soaked towel on the seat of my car from just about a year prior. So how how can this be? You know, I'm in disbelief now that everything's okay because of the, the trauma that was mentally still there from the last time. He goes, here's what happened. The placenta ripped away from the wall just slightly, and that's where this blood's coming from. But the baby's heartbeat is one of the strongest. (laughs) It's one of the strongest that we've ever seen. In that moment, I just knew that this kid was going to be amazing, and he's meant to be in our lives. He wasn't expected, but he was extremely welcomed. I remember when he was born, the dude barely even cried. He just opened his eyes and started looking around at everything. And he's still to this day the most curious dude that I've ever seen. 
We, we go on the ferry in Magic Kingdom just a couple weeks ago in Disney World, and he's he just walks off by himself because he's so stinking independent, too. He's at the front of the ferry boat just hanging out there. But then just true to his nature, he sticks his head up over the window to where he can see the controls and, and the skipper and what they're doing, and that's all he really cares about because he's so curious about everything in life ever since the day that he was born. Remember that strong heartbeat? This dude is one of the most independent and strongest-willed kids that I have ever seen. Because he's just always thinking of things that I don't even think about. I'm a pretty intelligent dude. But this guy, he says things, and you have no way to have a comeback as a parent because he just makes so much thinking logical sense. It actually becomes hard to argue with this dude ever since he was young, since he was two years old, three years old, whatever. Ever since he could talk. This is how I rolled into this decade, 2010, with Alec being born and just being a huge blessing in my life, Jaina's life, just completed our family. And I, I can't be more grateful for that. So come in, this is one lesson I want you to hear today, okay? And this is meant to lift you up because this is something I've noticed in my life throughout the course of my life and how this always is. And I, I'm going to tell you this, I'm going through this same kind of thing right now. So many just things, these blows from left and right and all over the place are just coming in at me. But every single time this has happened in my life, like the one I just explained with Alec, how we thought he was just not even going to happen because of a previous miscarriage. And all of a sudden he ends up being this huge, amazing addition and completion to our lives. Life is going to throw shade at you and it's going to get so difficult. And every single time you start to think that this is the worst possible thing that can happen, understand that the harder the trial, the harder the, the breakthrough is to see, the, the more difficult the light is to see at the end of that tunnel, the brighter it's going to be on the other side because the harder things come at you in life, that means there is even a greater victory beyond that. That means there's even greater wins and bigger plans and larger things for you to go after that you will can't even think about right now because you can't see it. You're blinded by what's going on. But just remember, the more you get crushed, the bigger you're going to win. That might be the one thing already today is that the more you get crushed, the bigger you're going to win. Let that inspire you. Let that encourage you because you can go into 2020. Maybe you had a great year, a horrible year, a horrible decade. You faced worse things than anybody could possibly imagine. You just go, Rick, I don't, you don't understand because I had this or I had that going on. I don't really care about you dwelling on the losses. All that I care about is that you can see those losses, learn from them, and understand that even things out of your control, when they come at you, there are greater things for you on the other side of that trial because you can be lifted up and you will see the biggest wins that you've ever seen. So keep pressing forward. Don't dwell on the wins. Don't dwell on the losses. Keep pressing forward and you are going to crush it going into 2020. I'm going to keep rolling with you through my decade. Is that cool? Uh, you're still with me, right? Let's keep rolling. 2010, when Alec was born, 
we were still living in a two-bedroom condo now with five people. We were broke the previous two years, but now I was actually starting to make a little bit of money as an independent consultant in IT. That's that's pretty cool. I'm like, we got to do something because Alec is in a pack and play in our bedroom and I'm not getting much sleep and I'm just looking around thinking this is just ridiculous. And I didn't think that I had the money, but as soon as I went out looking, there are just things that happen. New clients came about. Remember what I was just saying about the different trials. New clients just kind of materialized out of nowhere because it was a legitimate need in my life. And I knew that I was heading down the right path. And now we were able to get into from a 900 square foot two bedroom condo into a four bedroom 3,200 square foot house that did not break the bank. That Everything else that we needed to support that, that move that was desperately needed, just came to pass. It was mind-blowing. And this was in 2010. Alec was only about eight months old at the time when we made this move. It was like some, well, maybe 10 months, nine months, I don't know. But it was it was around my birthday. Actually, it might have even been around on my birthday from what I remember. We moved into a, this new home, and it was just amazing for us. It was exactly what we needed. That year, I got rid of the Saturn also and got a, a Cadillac CTS Coupe. It was the first year with the new body style. Man, that thing really always got looks at the, the gas station. And that was the first of – I've always loved cars, but that was the first. It's like, man, you know what? This is just how it's going to be. You, you see a lot of people that are out on the internet, a lot of these coaches, gurus that say – you know, if you want to be rich, you got to live rich. There, there's somewhat of a truth to that, you know, because you don't want to overextend yourself. However, mentally speaking, th- this is that old thing that, you know, dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. Ever hear that when you're going out for an interview? That's kind of true. Because if you cannot visualize, and visualization is a big deal, if you cannot visualize yourself being about 10 steps down the road than where you are right now, you are not going to be there. Just imagine when you're driving with a fog all around you and you can't see more than 10 feet in front of your car. How do you know what's really coming after that? You have to visualize what's coming after that. Maybe it's a road you've been down before and you'd be like, okay, I know this is going to turn or maybe there's crazy rain or snow coming down. I know this road because I've been down there before. Remember what I was saying? I can look back at the previous points in my life and understand that when there are big challenges, I know that there will be ginormous wins. I know the road because I've experienced this so often. We go into the new house. It's awesome. We move into another new house a couple years later. Really great. Business is really starting to move now as we're getting into 2013, 2014. And things are just kind of strolling along. It's awesome. 2013 is when I told you that I started dropping weight. That was the next step in what I needed to do. And, you know, we're around New Year's here. I hate New Year's resolutions. I think they're stupid. I prefer to have a milestone mentality instead because no matter when you start, it doesn't matter because you always know where you're going to end up or when you're supposed to end up there when you go with milestones rather than saying, I'm just going to have a start point. New Year's resolution just saying, yeah, I'm going to start this, but you don't really know when you want to end. You have to know when you want to finish something. It's almost like you have to work backwards. If you say, I want to drop 50 pounds by July 1st, if you're making that as a New Year's resolution, fine. Then drop 50 pounds by July 1st. You know what? If you suck for the first three weeks of the year, which is when most people fall off the wagon, who cares? Because now you can just accelerate your plan. 
it's not a big deal because you still have that target in sight rather than just having this stupid idea that makes no sense because you're looking at yourself in the mirror feeling bad for yourself. That's fine. Maybe you do want to lose weight this year. Go for it. But that's not the right decision. The right decision is to say, I want to be healthy. That's on a list of New Year's resolutions that you should never make is saying, I want to lose weight or I want to be fit. It should just be, I want to be healthy. End of story. That's the right decision because that has an endpoint that you can see and visualize and go after. 2014, I am about 60 pounds less. I lost about 60 pounds in that first eight months. And I say eight months because I started on April 1st, which was April Fool's Day. Everybody asks, how did I do this? I'll tell you what I did. For the first 30 days, I juiced for two meals a day. It wasn't exactly the right thing. I'll tell you what really, really sucked was that first three days. I tried not doing no carbs, and I, I recognized something. You know what? All those keto freaks that are out there, that's great. If it works for you, it didn't work for me. Why? Because I realized that my body needs carbs. It still needs carbs. I lift heavily. I've got good muscle mass. And if I don't have carbs in my diet anywhere, I'm talking at least like 150 grams, and I'm probably freaking out some keto people here. 150 grams of carbs, I feel like trash every day. It's horrible. I get lightheaded. I don't feel right. And I'm not talking sugar for all the keto people out there. I'm talking complex carbs, which can be potatoes, which by the way, has great nutritional properties. It works really, really well for my body because I'm a mixed burner. Some people can survive. I know a chiropractor friend of mine who's out of D.C. He's awesome and really fit, just like I am. And this dude, when we go to these same events, I met him at Harvard when we both spoke there about a year and a half ago. And he's grabbing the, the, the finger foods at this welcome reception, and he's just taking off the buns. I mean, he probably had about 18 of these burger sliders, but all he ate was the meat out of these. So I'm like, dude, how do you do that? He's like, you just get used to it, man. You just get used to it. I'm like, I tried. I can't get used to it. I'm the dude that still has to go to a Brazilian steakhouse because I love meat. I eat all the meat that I possibly can there, but I still have to have the potatoes. I still have to have the Brazilian cheese bread. I still need carbs in order for my body to function right. Everybody's different, period. Different body types, different ways to roll, different things you need. So if you need something and you realize that, that's okay. For that first 30 days, I realized that I needed a decent moderation of different things. Now, I also cut out wine because I had wine pretty excessively for the previous three years. I still love wine. I actually have two glasses of wine with pretty much every meal right now. And that's actually because I'm on the flip side of the digestion thing now is because it actually helps me digest my food better. And there's probably many reasons for that, but I feel better when I have that. It's good for men's heart health, especially. That first 30 days, I promised myself something. I'm going to get through these first 30 days. Remember those milestones I was talking about? It was milestones. I'm going to get through these first 30 days eating only 1,500 calories a day. Yes, I did a deficit diet. That was not the right way to do it. As long as I ate healthy and ate right, my goal was still just to be healthy. It wasn't to lose weight. I wanted to be healthy, but I went about it the wrong way. More about that in a little bit here. When I went about this with the deficit diet the first 30 days, I said, you know what? I love meat. I'm going to go to a Brazilian steakhouse on day number 31. And that's exactly what I did. I rewarded myself. 
probably the last time I actually rewarded myself for an hour or two hours or three hours, however long I stayed there. But at this point, my digestive system, my metabolism had already been sped up. I was burning fat like a fiend. I dropped like 20 pounds that first month, which isn't exactly healthy. I get that for all the doctors that are out there. This is how I did it. I tried exercising. I tried running because I was 270 pounds at the time. Remember, I lost 80 total. It was a pain to run, literal pain to run because of my knees. I played baseball for nine years. I was a catcher, so my knees were already a little funky to begin with, plus with the added weight trying to run on high impact. And then I was trying so hard because I'm all in. I'm the all-in guy, Rick Jordan. I was even working out, doing cardio, six times a week. I ended up in the emergency room because I had this thing called costochondritis, which is inflammation of the cartilage in your ribs. They just gave me an anti-inflammatory shot. I was good, but it felt like a freaking heart attack. I went about this the wrong way. I didn't have the right tools, but hey, I still dropped the weight. Cool. When I said I'm going to get in a little into the wrong way as far as the consequences go, here's what happened. At least this is what doctors think happened. 2015 comes along. Remember those crushing blows that I was talking about? I sat down in a salon chair to get a haircut, and suddenly I just felt really, really weird. I got up. I, I went into like this cold sweat. I got up. I'm like, I need to go to the restroom. I'm looking in the mirror, and I remember seeing myself. I'm like, come on, dude, get it together. What the heck is this? I go back, and now I can't feel my legs. I say, you need to call me an ambulance because I don't know what's happening here. And on the way there, they're like, oh, it's blood sugar here. They're pumping me full of candy. The, the girls at the salon, really nice of them. I could barely even walk. I had to be held upright by the two paramedics to get me on the stretcher. I go to the hospital. Can't fight anything. This was the start. And you can listen back to a previous episode all the way back. I think it was episode four or five about my near death experience as far as what happened. The short of it is eight months later, it ended up being a gangrenous gallbladder. For those of you that don't know what gangrenous means, that means gangrene, as in rotted, black, necrotic, dead. It was also a zombie like organ, even though it was dead. It somehow grew tissues and attached to my pancreas, liver, and kidney on that side. You can hear more about this. The, the theory of why this happened is because of how I decided to drop weight or get healthy. I went extremely low fat, extremely low fat on this plan that I had in my head. And it caused all the bile in my gallbladder to just go stagnant. Because if you don't know, bile helps you digest fat. When you eat fat, your bile or your gallbladder squirts out this extra concentration of bile to help digest the fats. I let that just sit and pool in there, and it had nothing to do because it just sat there, and then it ended up just getting infected and eating my gallbladder from the inside out and killing it, thusly almost killing me. I was about 24 hours away from death. Talk about a blow. This is December of 2015, decade is halfway over, and I remember walking around that hospital as I recovered because I was in there for about five days, which gallbladder surgeries are usually like in one day out the other because of how bad mine was. I was in there for five days. I remember getting back on my feet and walking around the hospital and just thanking God that I was alive. 
and thinking, I've got so much to do, so much to accomplish. I need to control everything that I possibly can. As soon as I did that, because I stopped working out, I only worked out for about a month when I was dropping weight because I just went at it so hard. This time, because of my weakened state, I was very forced to go about it slow and do it the right way. People, I couldn't even do 10 push-ups when I first started. This was about a month after I had my surgery. Now I do 150 four times a week when I lift. That's my warm-up is 150 push-ups. It took me two years to get to that point. This is not like an overnight thing. Even though it was hard to see the light at the end of that tunnel, even though I felt like garbage, like trash, horrible coming out of my surgery, I knew that I had a milestone to reach to where I would be fit, I would have muscle mass, I was not going to be skinny fat. Ever heard that term, skinny fat? That's what I was. I dropped a lot of weight, but I still had this belly that was on me, and I had no muscle mass in my arms or my chest because this is apparently what keto does to you too is that it just eats up your muscle mass. I wasn't eating right. I did this stupid deficit diet, which is what caused me to lose weight. And then I killed an organ in process of this. Crazy. Don't do it the wrong way. Learn from other people's mistakes like mine and do things the right way, please, so that you don't throw yourself into a a spiral of just horrible death, literally, and not be around for the ones that you love or the ones that love you. Now, today, I'm healthy, it's awesome, I'm fit, I love it, it's really cool, but this was the first half of my decade. Second half of my decade, rolling into 2016, I was off work for about a year because of all this stuff, got really good people that kept things rolling, I still kind of popped in every now and then remotely, I didn't even really go back into the office for about six months after my surgery, I got back into work full-time at the beginning of 2017, and from that point on, There was just no stopping, period. It was awesome. Year-over-year growth compounded since 2016 has been 25%. That's awesome. Revenue since that point in time has just skyrocketed. It's been really cool. I've done a lot of things. I've written a best-selling book since then. I've gone on a lot of TV appearances. I've spoken in all these crazy places, NASDAQ, Harvard Clubs, Boston, New York, NASDAQ, I think I mentioned that one already, and Mercedes, Coca-Cola, West Point Military Academy. That was a trip. That was really awesome and and really grateful for that. All these amazing things these past couple years and just building momentum. And I remember there was a friend that was talking to me that, that was saying, hey, you know, things are going really well for you. And this is another key point here, guys. Things are going real, really well for you. I'm like, yeah, they really are. You know, I'm really grateful for what's going on. Like, yeah, you know, there's just everybody works hard and I know you work hard and all this. And I really think that there's also this element of luck. You're just really lucky, Rick. And I looked at him. I was like, you know what? And in my mind, I've got middle fingers going up all over the place. You know, thinking I know that I'm one of the hardest workers that can possibly exist except for maybe Dwayne Johnson. And I actually take—I love the mantra that he goes by, which is be humble, be hungry, and be the hardest worker in the room. I try to embody that. He's someone that I look up to. And I hear this phrase, luck, and here's the straight truth. Luck means nothing. 
There is only momentum. You know what momentum needs in order to happen? It needs you to get up off your ass and get started too. Don't sit around and think someday I'm gonna do this, someday I'm gonna do that. Start it right now. Maybe there's things that have to fall into place in order for you to accomplish this. Whatever that first step is, figure it out and take it today. It's going into a new year, a new decade. Don't feel like you've wasted time in the past thinking, oh, I've wasted so many years. I used to think that way too. You know, and that, that's not the right way to feel about yourself because you can take those losses, you can take those wins, but even more so in this case, the losses, not, looked at, not look at it as wasted time, but look at it as lessons and take the first step that you need to go, or maybe it's the next step that needs to happen in order to go after what you know that you were made for. I know what I was made for, what I was created for, and that's what I'm going after now. Whatever that first step is, and then momentum begins, but it has to start. End of story. You can't get someplace unless you actually start to go there in the first place. It doesn't happen. Luck is not a thing. Momentum is all that matters and all that there is and it depends on you to create it. And then you'll start to see all this stuff starts falling into place and like, how did this happen? And you look back and I can trace with a, a dots and a pen or whatever and list out these things throughout the course of the past three years of my life as how I got to this point today to where just a couple weeks ago I was invited to go on Fox LA to talk about being all in in your life for, for 2020 for the next decade the reason I get invited on these things is because of the momentum that I started years ago. There's another key point to that as far as just say yes. That's hugely important. If things come across your way and there's not like this moral gut check that exists and you're thinking, oh, I don't know how that's going to help me. Who cares? You will probably not be able to see the, the effects the positive effects that it will ha that have on going after your goals and what's going to take place a couple years down the road by what you do right now, but you still just have to say yes. And then you'll start to see things happen. You'll look back three years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, and be able to trace like I can where that starting point was and on how all these things connected. And then you just visualize, man, it's like I was on top of this hill and I just started rolling down and all of a sudden I started picking up speed. How did that happen? Why? Because I actually jumped off to begin with. If I had never done that, things would not be rolling the way that they are. There is no luck. There is just momentum and you have to start. Rolling into this next decade, I'm super pumped because I'm in the middle of this momentum that's happening right now but yet I'm also in these big trials, stuff that I'm going to talk about probably in a year or so that's hitting me over and over and over again right now. But I also know that because things are hitting me so hard and they seem so difficult, even in the midst of all this momentum, I know that these amazing, huge, ginormous wins are right around the corner. The bigger the challenge, the greater the win. Roll into 2020 knowing that and you're gonna crush it. I'm gonna keep with you through this entire year. You're gonna hear more of me. Come back, tell your friends, rate the freaking podcast, please. 
give me five stars. I'm just going to say that, you know, if you found value in this, just tell a couple people, please, because I do this for free. I don't have sponsors. I don't know if I ever will. I can't say for sure, but right now I don't have sponsors. All I want to do is help people going into 2020 and tell you about my life and what's worked for me. Just like I told you about this past decade in my life and that you can grab onto something. I gave you one thing today. This show always challenges you. I challenge you to grab one thing out that you can grab, that you can hold on to. That's the work you have to do when you listen to this. If you don't want to work when you listen to this show, then you shouldn't be listening to this show. You need to listen because I have amazing guests. There's going to be even more amazing ones coming up this next year. And every single one just always brings knowledge and all these nuggets that you can grab onto. You can grab at least one thing out of every single show that will change your life. I love everybody. You're awesome. Hit me up anytime you want to. DM me at Mr. Rick Jordan. Remember to share the show, rate the show, five stars, leave a comment, hit it up. Let's crush it this next decade. Yeah. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out every Monday. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.